0: Welcome everyone to this episode of the Happy Hour. I am your co-host Jonah Paquette. With me, as always, the wonderful—I'll let you say it. Super. Gill. Uh, Hi
1: everyone.
0: <laughs> we obviously planned that out very well, very smoothly, very very artfully. But we are—we uh, have a great episode actually in store for you. Today, our guest, uh, Lindsay Gibson, Dr. Lindsay Gibson. We had a great conversation with her, didn't we?
1: Yeah, so, I was really, really happy with wow. just being able to meet with her and learn from her. She had some really great ideas on how to approach emotional immaturity.
0: So if you have someone in your life, a family member, a friend, a loved one, a boss, a coworker, anybody. Who might have emotional immaturity. You're going to want to listen to this episode. We got a doozy in for you today. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest, Lindsay Gibson. Dr. Lindsay Gibson is an author and clinical psychologist who's been a psychotherapist for over 30 years. She's written five books, including the bestseller, Adult Children of em- Emotionally Immature Parents. Her most recent book, which just came out actually, uh, is pretty mm-hmm. timely, huh? Uh, July of 2023. It's called Disentangling from Emotionally Immature People. In the past, Dr. Gibson has served as an adjunct assistant professor for a graduate program in clinical psychology, and she specializes in therapy and coaching related to personal growth, emotional intimacy with others, and confidence in dealing with emotionally immature family members. Her website, which we will have in our show notes, folks, is available at lindsaygibsonsid.com. Dr Gibson lives and works in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I've never been to Virginia Beach, Virginia, but it sounds Beautiful. nice and certainly uh based on our conversation with uh, with Dr. Gibson, if you found yourself in Virginia beach and happened to run into her, you'd have a great conversation with her because let me tell you Supreme, this conversation really resonated for me you know just because you run into all kinds of people and we think of these like labels of you know people who are narcissistic or all these things but on a much subtler, more insidious scale, you'll run into people in all walks of life who, you know, struggle in terms of this emotional immaturity, and we're going to get into the conversation as you'll hear of like exactly what we mean by that and how that can manifest, and even feelings you might have on the other side of the coin talking to someone that, you know, you almost feel like you're the the, the crazy one in that, and you know that that might be a sign of of who you're dealing with. So this conversation will get into a lot of interesting ground, won't we?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I think one of the things that comes up in in this discussion, as well as in her book, is this idea, as you're mentioning, that emotionally immature people and, and relationships or interactions that you might have could be across the board, right? They could be in your personal life. They could be in relationships with different family members, friends, or at work. And so it is one of those things where you might have an aha moment of feeling like, hey, what is it about this interaction or these patterns of behavior that always leaves me feeling like I said something wrong or I could have said something better. There might be something more to that. And one of the things that she Mm -hmm. talks about is how to disentangle from this, how to identify it and how to maybe take a step back and and try to get some clarity around what's going on and what you might need to do.
0: So if that sounds like you, and it does certainly to, to many of us in different contexts of life, You're going to want to listen in to this episode with uh, the wonderful Lindsay Gibson. And again, check out our show notes for more information about her work, her books, her website, all that good stuff. And in the meantime, now, right after this short interlude, our conversation with Lindsay Gibson. Welcome everyone again to the happy hour, and we are thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Lindsay Gibson. Lindsay, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, we are great grateful to have you joining us all the way from We Learned Virginia Beach. So uh, last day of summer out there, out here in California, Supri, it's kind of like a year-round thing You get that warm <laughs> weather and all that. But, but uh, really honored to have you on. We're excited to talk about your work. We're excited to uh, talk about what um, listeners can learn from you. So we're going to cover, I'm sure, quite a bit of ground in this conversation. But Lindsay, I have to warn you, I didn't tell you this at the outset as we were kind of warming up, but Supriya indulges me one wish, kind of like a a genie that grants one wish. And the deal for our (laughs) podcast is, because I have a tendency to just go on tangents and talk about random things like food and interesting things about Virginia Beach or whatever, she says, no, you can't do that. We have to have an interview. have to talk to the guests, learn about things. I say, fine, but you got to give me one question that I can ask that's just totally random. Um, And and (laughs) Supriya said, yeah. So. Let's think. Today, I think what I'd like to know. So I recently watched a superhero movie. And it got me thinking, like, if I could have any sort of superpower, what would that be? And I think the two that come to mind for me, listeners, would be number one, if I could eat anything with no ill effects from it, eat as much as I want, you know, whatever. That would be a cool, that would be a cool thing. And then I thought the other thing would be like, if I could almost eternal sunshine of the spotless mind style, like remove certain memories so that I could re-experience for the first time, like an awesome movie, an awesome whatever, like, you know, whatever. that was what I would do. So that was me. But I was curious for you, Lindsay, for listeners out there, if you could have any sort of superpower, what would it be?
2: Mm. You know, I've never thought about that.
0: <laughs> That's well, how we do I it here on The have,
2: yeah, <laughs> I Yeah, that would be racking my brain about what I'm going to decide to wish for. <laughs>
0: You could teleport, you could um, breathe underwater, you could do whatever you want. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: You could fly? You
2: know, I, I don't think I would want a superpower. Good answer. No. In the sense that, you know, life feels as full as I can manage right now. So when I think about being able to do like one thing that that would be like a special superpower, I guess my reaction to it is, yeah, I I don't have time for that.
0: It's <laughs> a good answer. I was thinking as someone who writes as much as you would, maybe a good superpower would be, you know, just the ability to to write lots of information very quickly. But then I realized you don't need a superpower, you got chat GPT for that.
1: Oh, <laughs> something tells me Lindsay is not wanting to no. use GPT. <laughs> she most
0: certainly is not. But anyways, thanks for that answer, for that response, and, and a good answer. Thanks, Lindsay.
2: And, now and on to on real professional
0: game. business, right, Supria? Yes. Supria, so keep us um, You in know, time. I'll
2: to- wake up at three o'clock in the morning with a good answer for that, so I'll, I'll be sure to email you.
0: <laughs> you. email us. We we will let the listeners know during our intro recording of we what you came up. With. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, we can definitely
1: add that, but I, I think I do like your answer. I do too. Uh, yeah, do too. that's that's a good one, and I haven't heard that. Mm-mm. So, so we are going to move on now from Jonah's one question. <laughs> um, I'll have and, more, but... Well, one off. Well, and you'll have more off the wall yeah, questions yeah, too. But in any promise. case, we're yeah. we're moving on. So, <laughs> Lindsay, we are so excited to have you here, and really just kind of want to dive in. So. In your latest book, Disentangling from Emotionally Immature People, you provide a lot of background and strategies on this concept and and ways to manage this. And I want to just start with a very basic kind of understanding of what is emotional immaturity? How do you define that? And what does that look like?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a great place to start because once you kind of get the idea of, what emotional immaturity is, then it gets much easier to recognize it. And once you can recognize it, you begin to have a way of kind of um, extricating yourself from their superpowers, because their superpowers are uh, controlling other people and making other people feel bad for not making them the most important person in the relationship all the time. So uh, we want to know what we're looking at, and we want to be able to identify them so that we don't get caught up in their emotional coercions. But basically, you know, emotionally immature people are people who, in the line of their emotional development, their ability to relate to other people, uh, their ability to have a strong sense of self; these things that we associate with emotional maturity, they just haven't grown in that area. They they may have developed just fine in terms of their intelligence, or maybe their you know their work ethic, or mm-hmm. could be their social skills. They could be very popular. They could be very successful in business all those parts of the mind, you know, may not be affected. But when it comes to handling stress or frustration, or when it comes to intimate relationships, that's where you can see the difficulties that they have. That's where things kind of break down for them. Because they're, they're inherently very egocentric. I mean, they're, they're like, the center of their world, and they think they should be the center of your world, too, because this is just, um, you know, it would be counterintuitive to think otherwise. So they are uh, very, very self-centered, and they don't have a whole lot of empathy. If they're having a great day and, you know, everything's, uh, you know, coming up roses for them, then they might have the extra juice to think about how other people feel, But in normal life, or especially when they're stressed, they really don't think about what other people might be going through, or what an experience might be like from your point of view. They also don't tend to Mm self-reflect, which is one of the things that makes it very hard for them to change, and it makes them a difficult um, person to work with in psychotherapy, Mm -hmm. because they're not the kind of person that says, gee, I, you know, I wonder if if maybe I made a mistake there, or I, I wonder if um, you know I'm accountable in some way for the problems that we're having. They they just don't do that. Mm. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> and they wish you would just leave it alone and drop it. Um, they have a real fear of emotional intimacy, so if you're in a relationship with them, uh, you know it could be child to parent. It could be partner to partner. It doesn't matter the nature of the relationship, but when things start to get intimate in the sense that we're telling each other what we really feel or what we really think, or we're sharing some deep part of ourselves, we're opening up to each other, getting to know each other. They're, they're, no, they're not, um, they're not big on that. And the reason for that is that they don't have that strong sense of self, so it's sort of like opening up. What uh, telling you what? And they're they're kind of mystified about where you're trying to go with this because they don't have a big inner life. Mm-hmm. They haven't developed that. They're they're like the little five year old, um, where if you ask them some deep questions, you know they want to do something else then um, because it's. Just not interesting or relevant to them. And then finally, um, the emotionally immature person has this very, very self centered relationship with reality, meaning that if reality brings them something that they don't like uh, or they disapprove of, they tend to deny it, dismiss it, or distort it. So they will actually say to you if you confront them about something that happened. They will say to you, "I didn't say that," hmm. or "You must be crazy because that's not what happened." Or, "I'm telling you, I never said that." You know, th- there, uh, and you are left with a kind of a, a gaslighted feeling yeah. of, "Was I wrong? Did did maybe I misunderstand this? Um, I thought that's what happened, but but because they're so." you know it's it's so easy for them to to reshape reality into something that they like they do that. and that makes it extremely frustrating to be in a relationship with them. So th- that's kind of the it's thumbnail a great, sketch of emotional great
0: synopsis of it. And I'm sure for a lot of listeners as we are talking, alarm bells are going off, and bells are being rung in terms of whether it's you know, people in their you know. Personal in their families, uh, work—you know—at work, bosses, people—you know—celebrity types. There's all kinds of examples that you see this. Now, if I'm just kind of capturing this right, I mean, what you're talking about in terms of that lack of core, that lack of perspective-taking, that sort of that self-centeredness quality. uh, Obviously, I would imagine a lot of overlap on an extreme end with things like narcissism, which will come up sometimes here. But it also sounds like a much broader, more common problem as well. Do you have a sense, Lindsay, if like? How many people struggle with this? Say out there, in terms of you know, uh, how common of a problem would this uh, would this be? Would you say?
2: Yeah, you know, when you think about reading the news, oh. <laughs> I was thinking politicians when Jonah was describing Democrats and <laughs> people. Um, yeah, I wish I had the the survey to pull out right here and, and <laughs> tell you the numbers, but. But actually, I think um, emotional immaturity has been all around in a big way for a long time. I mean, when you look at world wars, when you look at, um, you know, some of the things that people do to each other, when you look at uh, problems in family relationships or the marriage and divorce rates, you know, it's not painting a, a picture of people who are, Really good at handling a lot of emotional subtleties and working things out with each other, unfortunately. So, I don't know. Um, it just seems to me like there are a lot of them. Fortunately, there are a lot of people that are emotionally more mature, uh, so we can be thankful for them. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: And, you know, I'm curious, and as you were describing what emotional immaturity is, reflecting on the lack of empathy, the lack of self-reflection that can manifest in relationships, and and just kind of that sometimes that confused feeling, walking away from interactions that also might feel exhausting. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does apologizing even look like in this kind of framework that we're describing from an emotionally immature
2: person? Oh, well, I don't think there's going to be much of that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh, because apologies have all these qualities that don't go with their characteristics. It's like, you know, for, you know, this is why, you know, people get in trouble. Like, you know, you're the head of some corporation or some car manufacturer or some airline or something, and you try to do an apology and yet you try not to admit guilt because you don't want to up your liability. And you know you get these very stilted you know, we're so sorry for your inconvenience, like I don't know that you know fell out of the sky or something um, so
0: I'm sorry the, you were hurt um, by that.
2: I'm so sorry you were hurt by that. <laughs>
0: The non-apology apology apology, very popular. uh, I'm I'm, I'm sorry that you Mm
2: -hmm. think you were hurt, but but the apology is you know you have to be kind of self-reflective to give a, a genuine apology, and you have to be comfortable with emotional intimacy because an apology, a real one, is going to take you very quickly to this place of connection with the other person because if it's genuine. The other person will feel it and you guys will, will feel this meeting or this connection. And that is, you know, so we've got two things that the emotionally immature person is not crazy about that go into an apology. And a lot of times, you know, we try to get an apology uh, mm-hmm. because we feel like that's going to be the road to repairing the relationship. Mm-hmm. And it would be if the person could do it. Right. Right. But with an emotionally immature person, you can try it. But, you know, I hope that people who at least know about this concept don't feel surprised, you know, when they don't get it. And I hope they don't feel like it was something that they missed doing that caused the person not to apologize in a genuine way, because it probably wasn't.
0: Well, on that note, um Yeah, fascinating just to kind of think about how this how this plays out, you know. Yeah, I would imagine because this can often show up. You, you did a beautiful job of painting the picture of you can mm-hmm. have a person who's very successful in the one hand, right? Very you know rising to high levels and you know or being in roles that we would typically look to for a person to be you know have their stuff together, right? So it could be a parent, it could be a boss, it could be you know a leader on our team, you know whatever. And when you're getting these responses from a person, I think the the one of the normal responses that we then do is to look inward of like, what did I do in this situation? And to kind of, you know, second guess ourselves, like, was it something I did wrong, et cetera. Uh, You've done a great job of kind of illuminating the painting, the picture of what it looks like in terms of the behaviors. What about on the other side of the coin? Like what are some red flags or experiences on the part of the receiver that people might kind of look out for?
2: Yeah. Well, if you feel tired or drained, Around the person, um, that's a dead giveaway right there. Mm. Uh, because the emotionally immature person is always looking for someone to focus all their attention on them. And, and they really do this in a very uh, insistent way. So that when you hang out with them, you end up having to keep the spotlight on them and the spotlight of, of your interest on them. But because they're not very deep people, and because they're you know they typically tend to keep kind of narrow interests you know that are like personally meaningful, but maybe aren't many points of connection with other people. You know, lots of times it feels quite superficial talking to them, or you know, it's all about them. So that fatigue or that drained feeling is is a is a dead giveaway. Another one is uh, when you feel like you just aren't being heard, like it's, it's a, there's a particular feeling <laughs> that mm-hmm. goes along mm-hmm. with a person not really listening to you. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, I say you, but I mean, we can all feel that. It doesn't feel good. It makes us feel like we want to keep repeating ourselves because we're not sensing that the other for, other person is fully present with us so that's that's another one and then when a person wants to tell you what's right or wrong i mean almost immediately i mean they they kind of come on with their opinions or uh you know kind of uh you know correct you or tell you how they see things immediately I mean, not only is that kind of socially gauche, but it is off-putting, okay? It's, it's almost like I wasn't asking for a conflict or, you know, mm. a, a discussion, but, um, but now I feel like I'm being pushed into a position that I've got to either defend or I've got to completely go along with you. And so you, there can be a kind of a polarizing uh, feel to the interaction, And then lastly, I would say that you have the feeling that you would just as soon get away from the person. Mm. Uh, And you may feel very guilty about that because maybe this is a person that for all intents and purposes you should be Mm -hmm. interested in or you Mm -hmm. want to be interested in, but there's something real inside us that doesn't enjoy being the object of the emotionally immature person's maneuvers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, you know, maybe it's your soul, I don't know, but yeah. something kind of wants to back up and get out of there.
1: Right. There's some kind of incongruence. Just, you know, as I'm hearing you talk about this, and thinking about these important relationships in our lives, whatever that might be, where this is showing up in our values around being heard, being seen, mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. like you're meaningfully connecting and, and having that mm-hmm. incongruence there because yes. it's very surface level or one sided. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One question that I have, and, and I think maybe Jonah, you were going to ask this question. Um, as I'm hearing kind of you describe this, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm thinking about setting boundaries and, and how to do that in this context. And one of the things you describe in your book that I think is particularly relevant and if you could speak to this as well, is brain scramble and how that manifests in the context of, of having these important discussions or setting boundaries.
2: Yes, I love brain scramble. <laughs> I'm indebted to Jenny Walters, who is a um, coach, out in, uh, coach and therapist out in California for that term. Yeah, brain scramble is when you are trying to, it's usually when you're trying to get something Decided, or clarified, or maybe uh, it can be something like a, a contract that you're negotiating, or you know, there's just some arrangement that you're you're trying to come to some kind of conclusion on with the person, and the other person does this thing where they evade what you're asking. And they go off on tangents in a way that you start to lose track of what you actually ask them. And then you start wondering, was it me? Was it them? What did I actually ask them? And it gets to be, uh, you start to lose self-confidence because you think, well, I should certainly be able to, you know, track Where I was going and what I wanted to talk about. But the way that emotionally immature people kind of, um, you know, wriggle out of anything that makes them feel uncomfortable or distressed in the least uh, is can be very circuitous. It can be very tangled. Um, You can end up, uh, you know, following them down these lines of thought that. You don't even know why you're talking about that. But the purpose of it is to get you to back off. Um, There's something about the interaction that they don't want to, either they don't want to continue or they're ambivalent about continuing. Whatever it is, they're not okay with it, even though they agreed to talk with you. And they start switching up the topics or uh, asking you irrelevant questions or making challenging statements and you're confused that's the brain scramble this is particularly common with um either very emotional kind of infantile types or with narcissistic types because they they both have that emotional reactivity where they you know kind of keep the other person off balance in an attempt to you know, uh, not have to deal with, with whatever the person's bringing to them.
0: It strikes me that being able to, I mean, a lot of what you described there, what you also described previously in terms of that sense of exhaustion, that sense of wanting to move away from the person, that sense of them not being able to actually be present with you, that their mind is kind of constantly elsewhere, you know, that also takes a certain degree of not only insight, but kind of the ability to slow things down and to even recognize our own process in these things yes. to have that sort of that internal awareness of how am I feeling with this person? And it reminds me of the idea of like, if I'm having, you know, if I'm around somebody, really learning to, to pay attention to my own inner reactions to them, because that's either going to be how others feel about that person most likely, or even at times how they feel about themselves in the world. Can you speak to like, how people can maybe develop their capacity to do that a little bit more. Because um, it seems like it maybe starts from there, of kind of recognizing those signs.
2: Yeah, I, I love that, Jonah. I'm so glad you brought that up. Because, yeah, emotionally immature people, they have a low tolerance for stress. So if they feel stressed or they feel under the gun about something, then what they typically do is they start pushing, or they may start accusing or blaming. Uh, Whatever it is, they bring pressure to bear on the situation to where you feel like you better give a quick, good answer, because that's the nonverbal message that you need to respond quickly. Uh, I'm losing patience with you kind of message. But what happens as you just so beautifully described is that when you allow yourself to feel rushed, you end up disconnecting from yourself. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a part of you is still back there going, uh, you know, and then there's another part of you that splits off and tries to answer the question in a, you know, a quick and snappy way to, to calm this person down a little bit. And you are now unhooked from your own genuine reactions. So what we want to do is, as you said, we want to slow it down, remember that when you feel rushed that you are being maneuvered, Um, you're being pushed into a position that is for the other person's defensive benefit, and you want to then consciously reconnect with yourself, and if you can remember why you're there, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) but sometimes after you've been through an interaction like that, you can't remember anything (laughs) for sure. So you may have to uh, just pause and decide that you're not going to say anything just until you feel like you're back in your own shoes.
0: That is such a, I'm so glad you painted that picture for listeners because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who are like, okay, I recognize that I've got someone or multiple people in my life that, Sound a lot like this, right? But based on practicalities and even values, right? It's like, I'm not going to just cut the person off, right? That maybe it's because of who they are in your family or who they are in your professional dynamics or whatever. So that I think starts to think it starts us down the road of thinking about like, you know, on the one extreme, maybe it's like, you know, setting a limit and not having the person in my life if they are totally toxic and unhealthy. But for some of the more kind of gray ones, what are some other strategies that come to mind for you of how listeners might be able to manage these types of relationships in their life in various ways?
2: Yeah, well, foreknowledge <laughs> is terribly important when you're dealing with emotionally immature people because, you know, like I say, if you don't know what you're dealing with and you go into the situation expecting uh, that there's going to be kind of mutual fairness and mutual interest in each other and good faith in, in terms of negotiating toward a, um, a solution that both people are happy with, then you are likely to get surprised and brain scrambled um, as a result of that uh, when the emotionally immature person starts to get a little defensive. So it always works best if you've had dealings with the person before, and you know that this is is how they're likely to be, that you set two goals, two outcomes for yourself. One of them is that you stay connected with yourself. Like, no matter what happens today, when I go in there, no matter how it turns out, I am going to keep referring to myself inside and stay connected and stay grounded so that I don't just react, 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 because that's what you get pushed into. Mm-hmm. So that's one goal. The second goal is to figure out what is, the, what, is the, what is the outcome of this interaction that I want? What would make this a successful outcome? And it might be, you know, I want to spend a half an hour talking to satisfy, uh, you know, a social whatever, because this is a a neighbor of mine, and, you know, we're in this together uh, at a certain level. So, you know, maybe I want to spend a certain amount of time chatting with this person, or maybe I'm going to tell my parent that I can't help them with, uh, you know, something that they want to do, or or maybe I don't want to go on that particular vacation, Hmm. or maybe I don't want to come home for Thanksgiving, you know, whatever it might be but my outcome is going to be, I will have told them that. I don't, I don't have to do it gracefully, I don't have to do it well. <laughs> mm. They don't have to understand or be happy about it. I don't have to f- have the magic outcome uh, in terms of everybody's happy with the outcome. I just know that I'm going to walk out of there having told them this thing. Mm. And so you narrow down your outcomes that you're going for. You take all the points away for sticking the landing. Doesn't matter. You just make it over the vault, okay? And you fall flat on your face. And you often will have that feeling with sure. these people, but you will have accomplished what was necessary for the interaction. And it really has to get that basic, I think, before people, you know, can focus enough on what's important, the connection to yourself, the outcome that you want before they go into the interaction.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it sounds really like having a real, like a realistic expectation for that particular context is really important, even though it might not be the same that you would have in other relationships in your life.
2: No, because that, would be, that could be really frustrating. I mean, if, if you were expecting that it was, and it was difficult every time you got into a, a discussion with someone, I mean, that wouldn't be any fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, but to that point, I mean, flexible boundaries being the hallmark in some ways of psychological totally. health, right? that you're able to have some people that you have, you don't let them in. The walls are high because they're not safe, and others that it's sort of semi-permeable depending on the situation, mm-hmm. the context, and others that you have a lot more closeness with. Also coming full circle to that apology question, it seems, of like, mm-hmm. you know, why am I? Because I think sometimes when you're confronting a person, even or or setting a, a boundary, um, so important to remember, like, why am I doing this? And it's not mm-hmm. for a particular outcome in terms of how they'll respond, right? We have no control over that and they may well respond in a way that we don't like. But to know that we set the boundary because of our needs, right? We drew the line because of what we wanted. And also sometimes it means like, i say what needs to be said even if i know that the person's not going to apologize for what they did i'm still going to put that put that out there
2: right you might decide that it's worth it to you to make an attempt at a genuine relationship with them by telling them you know really what you thought about something or really what you need from them and you know i don't encourage people not to try that i mean sometimes i think people have thought that uh, you know who haven't read me very closely, they think that I'm all in favor of you know just cutting off the relationship and uh you know keeping your distance and and I really don't do that i I do uh encourage people to figure out what they want to do mm-hmm. because I mean there's some people that they really need to try it out mm-hmm. they really need to go into the interaction hoping and expecting that they can get that person to understand and maybe change. Okay. That's something that they have to try out. They have to find that out. And I don't have a crystal ball. So it's not up to me to say, you know, that won't work because they're notorious for not changing. I mean, that's not my job. And, and I don't, I could be wrong. I mean, what if I was wrong, you know, and, and they missed a chance you know, to do something uh, good for that relationship. So people, you know, I just encourage them to find out for their, for their own self, uh, you know, whether or not it can be a more satisfying relationship.
1: Yeah. And I think too, like looking at it as an experiment, I love that because Mm. we don't know and, and, you know, we're getting bits of information and it hasn't been tried in this way with these strategies being employed. So really kind of being curious about it while also using the knowledge that we've talked about in terms of, of managing expectations is so important.
0: And yeah. your approach has, has a lot more nuance to your credit, Lindsay, than I think with the caricature that you painted. I, I, I would say in our field right now, we'll just mini soapbox, Supriya, <laughs> there is this in very in vogue Oh, this person's toxic, cut them off kind of in mentality, boundary boundary boundary. It's like, well, life is more complicated than that and some people that, that's fine for, and other people it's usually a little bit more gray. So, you no, know, I think what you've described in your book is not that sort of one size fits all, which is I think very important.
1: Yeah, we yeah, love that. Thanks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it goes back to to, you know, what is important to you in your life and how do you have that flexibility around those relationships and and I think that the boundary piece, it's important too, when you're setting boundaries to maintain relationships, recognizing, again, kind of Jenna, what you mentioned earlier of, you know, what the intent is of that. And it is it is to to have some safeguards in place. And, and that can help with the long-term goal of sustaining some difficult relationships.
0: Yeah. How about the yeah. flip side of all this, Lindsay? If, um, you know, we've, we've talked about the marks of sort of emotional immaturity and Maybe some problematic patterns in relationships. For listeners who are curious in terms of whether it's like what to look out for in a potential partner or how to be in a relationship or how to, you know, what to look out for in a prospective boss or, you know, who name, you name it. What would you say are some of the hallmarks in your experience of the other side of the coin of kind of healthy, intimate relationships across those different settings? What does that look like?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I always try to make a point of saying, Adequately emotionally mature people, or um, satisfactorily emotionally immature people, sufficiently emotionally mm-hmm. mature people, because you know it. It you know we don't have a, a like a, a superhero that's out there that's you know like um, this could emotional.
0: be your superpower like you have a superhero <laughs> emotionally immature person. No, no, no.
2: Yeah. <laughs> No, 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 Uh, no. But it would be like you know, emotional maturity, man um, (laughs) or woman. We're 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 not going for that. But but there is you know there is a line. I mean, there is it's a continuum. Um, You know, incidentally, when we're we're sick or we're tired or we're stressed, we all get more Mm -hmm. emotionally immature in our functioning. I mean, we just uh, we regress, and sometimes emotionally immature people can pick it up a little bit and Mm -hmm. and stretch themselves into more mature functioning, which Mm -hmm. often happens on first dates. Okay, so (laughs) it's a flexible continuum, but there really is a line where the person who is more sufficiently emotionally mature is going to show you some characteristics, if you're looking for them, that are signs of emotional maturity you know, we could go down the list of emotional immaturity and and see that pretty clearly. But I, I think, you know, like the most, I think the, like the most telling characteristic that I would pick would be if you feel like you can totally be yourself with the person, like you feel comfortable with them. You're not self-conscious. You're not thinking about the, um, uh, impression that you're making, you just feel like they kind of see you or they like you. <laughs> um, that they think you're all right, and and that conveys itself to you because maybe they have warm eyes or maybe they express some kind of empathy or interest in you. Uh, I have a, a friend who is uh, doing online dating. And she's also a psychologist, and she's just fascinated by the fact that so many people never ask her a question. Um, you know, it's all about telling her <laughs> what they're like, <laughs> what they do. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, that, that's just a little it's a red sign. flag. <laughs> well, it tells you what you're going to be doing a lot of, which uh-huh. is paying attention to them. And yeah. listening, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and kindness. That one, I think, is big, Mm -hmm. where somebody is just kind. I mean, they think about how something's going to make other people feel. Mm. And when somebody is genuinely kind and you hang around them long enough, you're going to see them act in that way. And it's going to be very spontaneous and very unplanned. Um, It's just going to be nice. They also are not afraid of emotional intimacy. For instance, they might ask you a question that is not only about you, but it might deepen uh, the discussion or might deepen the conversation about you. Like they might ask you, what was that like for you? Or, you know, did you ever think this? Or did you ever, I mean, they they kind of are a little bit uh, exploratory, but it's because they're curious, you know, that one of the signs of a person who has a good sense of self is that they tend to be pretty calm and they tend to be curious and they communicate in a way that you feel like you can answer them and they will understand. You know, there's a thing about uh, listening that if a person really wants to understand you, it doesn't matter what you say. Mm. And if a person really doesn't want to understand you, it doesn't matter what you say.
0: (laughs) I love that. Thank you for sharing. Sure. Awesome. Like so. You should put that on a billboard somewhere or uh, <laughs> tattoo it to our whatever. Uh, by the way, I'm so glad, Lindsay, that you let me off the hook when you were talking about it being kind of like a good enough idea with emotional maturity, not like a yes or no. Because Are
2: you kidding? I'm letting myself off of uh, the
0: hook. I <laughs> can't tell you, like, you know, as my wife will attest, like when, when my beloved Buffalo Bills or New York Knicks lose a big playoff game or something like that, I just become comatose. I, you know, it's like a tantrum in the house. And she'll say to me, it's like, all right, you you get to act this way for like an hour, but then, you know, pick pick it back up. (laughs) (laughs) I have my priorities straight, you know? (laughs)
1: Well, it's funny. As Lindsay was describing that, I I was actually thinking about how my husband would add to that list being hangry, because I I think that's a real phenomenon. And I suffer from that and turn into... um,
0: I think it's in the next DSM, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs)
2: For now it's now that would be a useful thing in the DSM. <laughs> I have to but probably it be more
0: valid than half the constructs in there. <laughs>
2: yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> well, this has been
1: so great, Lindsay, and your book is just packed with, I think, a lot of really helpful ways to better understand and define and have a framework around this, and also mm-hmm. strategies to to work through this. So I highly, highly recommend your book, and. I think that we'll go ahead and move to every. Every guest gets to have four lightning round questions. From lightning us. round
0: presented to you by PG and eight. No, I'm just kidding. PG and e We don't like them so much around here. I was but gonna say they're not a very not very popular. It's a yeah. sure way to make our ratings sink, Supria. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, <laughs> Anything besides that would have been great. Um, In any case, we're going to get started with our lightning round. So, Lindsay, what is one change you'd encourage listeners to make based on your work and what we've discussed today?
2: Yeah, it would be to put themselves first in their own life. Mm. Love that. Love that. That is not not selfish. Uh, That's the way it has to work for you to be available to anybody else. Okay.
0: Fantastic. Obviously, this is a little silly question on the surface because of obviously this amazing book. But like, besides that, any like other thing that you're working on right now professionally that you're feeling most excited about?
2: Yeah, I'm doing a, a book on treating um, in psychotherapy adult children of emotionally immature parents. I'm in the middle wow. of working on that. Right
0: Another now. book. How many will this be? Yeah, Five? Book. Did I get that right? Yes. <laughs> One, yes, two, and, three, three, and I also four, have
2: five, a five, uh, guided journal that's six. going to
0: be coming oh out in gosh. the fall. <laughs> yes. Wow,
1: So great, great that you're keeping your mornings blocked for writing, then Lindsay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, like keep, 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 we'll keep uh, keep our eyes out for that one, and and absolutely would love you back on when that time comes.
1: Yeah, That'd be great. Okay, and to shift gears a bit, can you tell us about what you're looking forward to right now on a personal level?
2: Uh, Well, uh, we're going to be going out to uh, see my son and his husband out in San Francisco in uh, about a week, uh, coupled with a trip to see my best friend up in Portland. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we have a a lot of good relationship time coming up. Mm -hmm. And I'll get to see the grand dogs who are a Great (laughs) Dane and a (laughs) (laughs) Weimaraner.
0: So they chose really small dogs, it sounds like. Yes, they did.
2: did. (laughs) Grand dogs. Grand
1: dogs. I love that. I don't think I've ever heard that before, but it's so great.
0: Fantastic. Um, Have a safe travels, obviously, for that, and have a great time out in our neck of the woods out here on the West Coast. And last but not least, being that this is the happy hour, where we try to teach listeners and share ideas with listeners on how to live a happier and healthier life, what is Something that you do, Lindsay, when it comes to cultivating happiness and well being in your own life?
2: Mm. Well, for me, it's reading something that has some um, soul to it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Something that, um, you know, kind of takes me out of the task mm-hmm. uh, orientation to life or, or accomplishing something. It's something that puts me back in touch with you know, sort of like the secret world, the uh, mm-hmm. uh, the world of intuition or the world of soul, uh, those things which are almost um, ineffable. Yeah. But that is very nourishing mm-hmm. to me when I get a chance to kind of, you know, sink into um, some of the the things that, that have a, well, I would call it, uh, it it's a little bit spiritual, but mm-hmm. it's also... Wow. Just a, de- it feels like going to a deeper level mm-hmm. um, in myself, and when I can do that, uh, I come out of it feeling invigorated and uh, you know excited for the next work project I have to do. But I love to read things that are inspiring like
0: that. I love that because, um, and I and I would say actually for me was, um, it's been kind of reading a little bit of Mary Oliver poetry of late recently, mm-hmm. actually, in terms of just opening up some of that side of things. And I think we spend, especially in our professional lives, whether we're listening and we're into finance or mental health or healthcare, whatever, lawyers, we spend so much sort of myopically focused on sort of what we should be keeping abreast on. And I think we sometimes miss out on like those soul nourishing, as you said, kind of experiences, which I think, by the way, ironically, book, book plug, David Epstein wrote a book called Range, which really talks about how when we broaden our horizons as opposed to just narrowly focusing on our field, we actually do better ironically in our field. And that's
2: I think so too. I'm, I'm a big I think proponent so of that. So mm-hmm. reading
0: yeah. things totally out to left field, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, actually probably help us more oftentimes than reading things that are sort of right in our in our alley. Well, great mm-hmm. answers and um So wonderful to have you on. And last but not least, Lindsay, if you want to share with listeners where they can find out more about you and your amazing work and keep up to speed with you.
2: Yeah, uh, they can go to my website, which is Lindsay with an A, Lindsay Gibson, P-S-Y-D. That's PsyD at, no, uh, that's my email address. (laughs) Lindsay Gibson, P-S-Y-D dot com is my mm-hmm. is my uh, website. So they can they can go there. And then if they look me up on Amazon or TikTok mm-hmm. or TikTok. You know, yeah. Really?
0: Wow. Uh, OK. Yeah, Good there's for you.
2: Uh, I just uh, put in a, a plug here for my buddy Will at My So-Called Mind, which is a, a fabulous tiktok channel where he does a lot of work with books like mine but it's something to Mm -hmm. do with you know personal growth and recovery that kind of thing so i just finished up a four-week uh book club thing with him
0: that's great i'm I'm very impressed that's very cool and we will have all that information Lindsay, in our show notes for listeners so you'll learn all about your books your website and all that good stuff and including where to find you on tiktok it seems
2: yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) thank thank you you so so much
2: okay thank you guys I appreciate it
0: we've loved having you take good care and um, we'll see you next time hopefully bye
2: enjoy your
1: trips thanks Lindsay